Podcast with you as always is me, Chino Liao. I am your host for this podcast series because nobody else wants to do it. <laughs> nobody else wants to talk to the people I talk to. Uh, that's a lie. Everybody wants to talk to them. I am just very, very lucky to take this time and opportunity to talk to with all these amazing people. Just like last week's episode, James Deacon. Hey, man, God, one of my favorite conversations ever, right? And I know I'm being biased, but I just, I love it when you can pick out any particular segment from that interview and just learn something from it like any pick any five seconds where he talks and you will walk away with something pick any five seconds where i talk and you will walk away stupider but james deacon just up the value of this podcast so so much so if you haven't listened to that episode please do so and please let me know what you think with a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I like how I'm shilling in the first 90 minutes or 90 seconds of this podcast episode. (laughs) Uh, If you're joining us, listening to this, uh, first of all, is the day after my birthday. and I will leave you this time to greet me a happy birthday. Right. Thank you. Thank you for all your greetings. Thank you for all your greetings. I don't know how many more times I can use that bit, honestly. It's like every other episode, I give awkward silence and use it as a punchline. But hey, thank you for joining me on this episode and for greeting me a happy birthday. Uh, But this week, we're doing a little something different. We're going back into the world of stand-up, more particularly talking to a stand-up comedian who has an actual day job. This man is in a serious, serious profession. This week we are talking to Mr. Andrew Grant, who is a comedian I met and shared the stand-up roads with in Hong Kong, of all places. Now he is back in his native Canada, Vancouver, British Columbia. And he is actually a linguist. Not a cunning linguist because we are better than the joke. But he's actually a doctorate in linguistics and artificial intelligence. Yes, comedians are actually very intelligent people. Ako lang yung bobo. I am the only idiot in this field. Everybody else has a PhD. And we are going to talk to somebody with an actual PhD in Andrew Grant. And we talk about all sorts of things here. He breaks down what linguistics actually is. The idea of language and how we are able to teach that to machines. Which is why if you listen to this episode on your phone, there is a chance that your phone is also listening to you. That's some heavy black nigger shit. 
So I will leave you with that as we talk about more with linguistics professor Andrew Grant. start with like the most basic question really is how, how did you get into this field of the sciences so it's it's um it's kind of weird i was doing a undergrad for software uh software engineering and as part of that i had to do some work terms i worked in industry a little bit um you know, grunt work basically, yeah. but it paid, it paid fairly well, to be honest. Um, but I was getting towards the end of my time doing that. I've had like, you know, two years working in industry. Um, and it's just, I didn't want to do it every day. No. <laughs> I, I didn't want that to be the rest of my life. Cause you know, I could have kept showing up right. doing my work and then going home and then just doing whatever on the weekends. But it's just like, no, this doesn't seem that interesting. So around that time, in my fourth year, we had to take a intro to artificial intelligence course. Okay, wow. Yeah, I mean, it was just part of the standard curriculum. And it basically hit four topics. And I, well, what were they? Uh, one was games, like making, uh, making a game AI. Oh, I cannot for life me remember what the other two topics are. Crap, and now I'm thinking I want to give you an edit point. <laughs> No, it's fine. It's cool. Uh, awkward silences work for podcasts. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, <laughs> yeah. So I had to take this intro to AI course. Yeah. Um, and as one of the units in that they had, it's called natural language processing. Right. And, and what makes it natural language as opposed to like computer language is that like a human speaks it. Right. So like, I'm sure you've, you've heard of like programming languages, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, have you done any programming? Very basic programming. Like they taught us HTML. Does that count in high school? Yeah, that counts. Yeah, yeah. But like it's 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 a weird structure. It's not really a way a human would talk. And right. the whole point is it's supposed to get rid of ambiguity. Right, right. Is this uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but chatbots have a lot to do with this right like if you google oh yeah on... chatbots are, are an application of this right yeah anything to involve anything invo that involves a human talking to a computer or a computer talking to a human right uh it's all under the broad field of uh natural language processing or computational linguistics right right um so i just you know it was one of those things that when i found out that that was a possibility that I could get a computer to understand human language, it kind of set off a bunch of fireworks in my brain. And I suddenly remembered, you know, I was in high school watching my DVDs on the French dub because I wanted to learn French. Right. Still haven't, <laughs> still haven't learned French, but it's kind of like, oh, this is something I've been circling around my entire life. Right. And then, you know, after that, started looking into master's programs got a good scholarship to go out to a, a good university in, uh, in Korea. Right. Did a master's. Didn't want to get a real job still. <laughs> so 
So I started looking around for PhD programs, found a, found a, a professor at a very good school in Hong Kong and got a scholarship to go there. Uh, that professor ended up being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Pivoted to a different professor, still in the same topic. And, you know, was, once you get the PhD, there's not much more schooling to do. So now right. you got to get a real job. You got to enter the real world. You just, you just hit the, the end of the education line right there. It's not, it's not like you can get more PhDs, right? I mean, you can. I mean, you can, yeah. but what's, there's, there's, not a, there's not a lot of point to it. There is right. something called a postdoc. Right. Uh, but that is, it, it's, it's a job that doesn't pay as well as a job. <laughs> right. right, right. So my understanding with, or my only understanding of linguistics before we even had this conversation was that it was the study of language, right? So I, this whole time, I thought when you told me you were into linguistics and you studied linguistics, I, this whole time I thought you would like knew a hundred different languages from the top of your head, you know, or you can like tell me all sorts of things, but apparently it's a little bit more scientific than that, right? Well, is so you you described it as linguistics is the study of language, right? But you didn't say it's the study of languages, right? And and, and that's the difference. So, like linguistics, okay. it's about like an abstract an abstract concept of language. It's like what are the underlying structures? What are the underlying rules? What are the underlying processes uh. of language? Not. You know, you could look at a specific language and go, this is the grammar and right. this is the slang and this is, a, and that is linguistics. But in general, it, it's more about like the underlying stuff. It, it's the study of the process of language more so than the study of a specific language. Right, right. So how did that, how did you go from computer science to that? Did a lot of the natural language studies or applications have anything to do with it? Well, yeah. So like that's, that's what was interesting about natural language processing is that it's an interdisciplinary field. Right. So it is, it has a, don't, it has a very strong computer science component, but it also has a very strong linguistics component. Oh. And there are various people that are stronger on one side than the other. I'm definitely more computer science than I am linguistics. Um, but as part of my undergrad degree, I also had to come up with a major. Right. Like, well, I mean, like I, in, in, in the Canadian sense of major, it's not like you're, it's not like the U S sense where it's like I'm majoring in, in software engineering, Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I had to get a concentration. Okay. Uh, and I was able to kind of build my own. I'm like, well, what if I take, uh, this AI course, another course that I did, uh, and Hey, Hey guys, what if I take a first year intro to linguistics course and we call it a fourth year computer science course. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. Wow. Ah, see, see, that's interesting now because I've always, always under the impression that we're, we're branching into how universities work here, but I was always under the impression that it was just a very hard and fast curriculum moving forward. I didn't know you could weave in and out of it. Oh, it, it's, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Engineering faculties do tend to be very rigid. Right. Um, a lot of my friends are like, oh, there's so many choices, oh, so many courses I could take. I don't know what to take. And for me, it's like you have to take this course, this course, and this course, and then you can choose one of these three electives. Right, right. So I, think, I think in my entire degree, I only had one true free elective right. where I could take anything I wanted. Uh, but for this concentration, 
it was they had allocated three courses and they had like some sample ones of like this is a networking concentration this is a cryptography concentration ah, okay and i just because i didn't have a concentration that was like pre-made i had that third slot free and i'm like well what if i just plug this in there and i was able to convince them to let me do it right 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 so uh, i guess it works out for you because you ended up all the way at hong kong studying uh linguistics how did that exactly work out for you like how what led you to hong kong in the first place other than of course the professor turned out to be a dick you know like what yeah. made you stay all those years in hong kong well you know i i went in academia when you have a scholarship you don't give it up willingly <laughs> right <laughs> so i i had a very i had a very good scholarship uh, like you know i wasn't i wasn't rolling in money but i wasn't worrying about money at all uh it was funded through the through the hong kong government uh they <laughs> they paid me to come and dilute their culture <laughs> <laughs> they needed it, more yeah. white people They need yeah. more white people in Hong Kong. More, <laughs> more white people doing more tech stuff. Yeah. <laughs> But also the university I was at, uh, the university I was at was the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, which I tell people that and they go, oh yeah, I know HKU. It's, it's, not, it's HKU. not HKU. Yeah. It's not <laughs> HKU, It's a different university with an unfortunately similar name. But in terms of computer science, I think it's something like top 20 in the world for oh, computer wow. science. Okay. Okay. So it was a really good school. Pretty much if I left that school, I would have ended up working. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone to a different, like I wouldn't have transferred to another school. Right. So it was kind of once I was in, <laughs> once I, once I made the mistake to move to Hong Kong, I was kind of locked in. Right. I, I am, I'm, I'm joking. It, it, it was fine, but there's, if you're not prepared for the weather, like I, I know, I know yeah. you're, you're a warm weather boy. Yes. I'm I'm Canadian. I yeah, yeah. love winter the tropics, and snow. Yeah the, yeah, the tropics must have treated you differently, right? Oh no, it 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 was it was horrendous. Yeah. It was I I rem, I remember I had a real like one of those oh I just fucked up moments where I was drunk. Right. And I was in a bar with some people and we opened the door to go outside and it pushed out like the door pushed out and I was opening it with my hand and all of a sudden it felt like my arm was dipped into a pool. Okay. And it was the humidity. <laughs> it was the humidity. And I'm like, oh, this is not a country for fat boys. Yeah. No, nope. As, a, as another fat boy, I can attest to that. <laughs> you know, you'd think I would have sweated all of this by now, but nope. It's just, it's just a hot, hot mess. Uh, but yeah. Hong Kong actually gets pretty cold, colder than the Philippines at least. So, you know, at least you guys. Well, I mean, relatively. But yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're still, like a cold day in Hong Kong is still mid-20s. Right, yeah. I mean, which is pretty pretty high for somebody who's used to the to, to snow. Yeah. <laughs> right? So was yeah. Hong Kong where you started doing stand-up in? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Started doing in, uh, in Hong Kong. I wanted to start in Korea. Right. I wanted to start when I was in Korea. Yeah, because um, they have a scene there too, right? It's so... They do yeah. and they don't. Um, I found out about it more after I left. Right. I did some light Googling. I was like, it's once a month. And it was in uh, it was in uh, an area called Itaewon, which is right. like 
that's where the white people go. Right. Yeah. So I it's kind of like it's it's, it's kind of like we don't go there. We're better than them. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think I I did a spot at this Australian bar, if I'm not mistaken, in in yeah. in, in Seoul, and it was just like you said, a bunch of white people. Although for that one night that I was doing it. The uh, Rudy, the booker, told me that they usually don't have people for that night. But all of a sudden, a group of Koreans decided to watch. Nice. That one night. And that was the first time it's ever happened. So, yeah, I, 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 met, I met Rudy after the fact. And it's like, yeah. oh, I could have been doing this the whole time. But I just, you know, I, I looked it up. It didn't seem like it was happening very often. So I just right. never got around to it. Right, right. And so you were in the Hong Kong. How do you find out about... Uh, open mics and stand up and all that. Well, like I said, towards the end of my time in Korea, I was really ready to take the plunge. Right. You know, and, and kind of like how, when I took that linguistics course, it kind of was like, Oh, I've been interested in languages my entire life. And I didn't know it. At a certain point, I realized I'd been watching stand up since I was a kid and, and loving it. And I just really wanted to do it. So what we, you know, I, I had already looked into doing in Korea, in Korea. It didn't seem like it was going to logistically work out for me. I get to Hong Kong. I don't have any friends, you know, because right. I just moved. All my friends are still in Korea. I find out that there's multiple weekly open mics in Hong Kong. So it's like, oh, it's happening all the time. Started going and watching, you know, did that for a month or two months. And then uh, the first time I ever went to the Monday open mic in Hong Kong, Bar 109, Ooh. the one, uh, the open mic I ended up running. Right. The first week I went there, um, there was this, uh, I don't think you ever met him, but there was a Scottish comedian who was like really funny in Hong Kong. Uh, he teaches DDP yoga now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I was talking to him out, out, out front and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm asking him about stuff. He's like, oh, have you ever thought about doing it? I was like, yeah, I, you know, I kind of want to do it, but I'm, I'm building up the courage. And he's like, okay, that's fine. You're on in 10 minutes. <laughs> and I go up and I, I say a couple things and I get a couple polite chuckles. Right. But it's like, now I'm hooked. Now I'm chasing this dragon. Wow. Wow. So... Because you had that science background, did you have to approach it differently? Did you like do it more cerebrally or? I, I mean, yes and no. Um, right. it, it's more that the, the personality traits that made me attracted to science also influenced the way I approached comedy. Right. Right. And I, I feel like there's a lot of crossover between academics and comedy and that you're you're making disparate connections. You're, you're trying stuff and then you're observing the results and then adjusting accordingly. Right. And you basically do a bunch of stuff until you see what sticks and you have to be persistent and you're going to have some failures and you have to kind of work through them. Um, so like in, in one way that that's kind of like influenced my approach to both, but definitely I, for some reason, I write a lot of history jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Even though, <laughs> I, yeah, I, and people are like, oh, of course you write history jokes. You're getting a PhD in history. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've taken like two history courses in my entire life, but for some reason, 
I write a bunch of history jokes right. and I don't know why. Right. Maybe you should start writing uh, linguistics jokes. Maybe that might work out for you. <laughs> I, I, I have a linguistics joke if you want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Do you now? Well, come on. Throw it out. Girl, if I could rearrange the alphabet, I'd get rid of C, Q, X, and add a schwa. I guarantee you there's like three listeners right now losing right. their shit. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if none of them have tuned out up to this point, yes, then yes, yes. If we, there, There's like three people like that is a great joke. Yeah, if we still have them, then yes, yeah. By this point, so I, I like talking to you about these things because you told me something interesting before before we, you know, we decided to record this podcast. You said your thesis had something to do with teaching uh, machines to understand a joke, right? The computers how to understand a joke, right? So are yeah. they not smart enough yet that you have to give them a sense of humor now? Is that why, why did you decide to do that? Well, I mean, it just seemed like a good way to marry the two things and that were <laughs> taking up my entire life at the time. Yeah. Uh, weirdly, I didn't, I didn't start doing the so the, the the subfield is called computational humor right and i didn't start doing it because i was doing stand-up although after someone told me to 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 look into it it was definitely oh yeah i'm doing stand-up this seems like a good fit right um but basically it's very hard to understand a joke when you think about it there's a lot that goes into it uh you have expectations in order to have expectations, you need to have an understanding of the real world. You have to understand relationships between right. objects, physical relationships, like a really, it's just really complex to have expectations and then just subvert them. And then to understand why they're subverted. And, you know, you, you pretty much need to under, it's, it's the same reason why it's hard to understand a joke if it's not your first language or if you're not uh. fluent in a language. Okay. Yeah. Because you need you need to know so much of the subtleties of like what's being implied, what are the expectations, uh, what are the double meanings. Like it's just a very complex process. Right. So right, right. right. So how did you? You said it's like trying to learn a new language, essentially, right? Trying to teach somebody something incredibly new only this time that somebody's a machine right so how does one go about that like where do you start you know because i i wouldn't know where to start well you you, you start small right <laughs> you, you you can't be like okay yeah, i'm yeah. gonna get a machine that can uh visualize like a, knock, a thing like trying to teach a calculator a knock knock joke or <laughs> yeah but like I'm, I'm not gonna tell the computer like uh so, so a rabbi, a priest, and a right. whatever walk into a bar and have it like in its head picture three people walking into a bar <laughs> with different like you you don't start there right. is, is the point. <laughs> so you kind of you start with the pro with the problems that you've seen people work on and you see if you can kind of backform that into what you want. Um, and I can tell you the whole the whole crux of my thesis the the the, the thing that I brought to the world right. Um, which is to do with unexpectedness or not, not unexpectedness because other people have done that, but just there's an asymmetry in a joke, right? right? Where it has to be hard to predict because if you can predict it, it's not funny. 
Right. But it has to have, it has to make sense. Right. So when you have the answer, it has to be easy, easier to see how it relates to the beginning than getting from the beginning and predicting the answer. Right. And a big thing in computational linguistics is similarity, right? Uh. Trying to figure out, you know, how similar are these two words? Right. Can you swap them? Can you do whatever? Uh, taking it to a higher, like if you take it one level above that, how similar are these documents? Right. Like similarity is a really big thing. And similarity, a lot of people had a lot of tools for similarity. Almost always it was symmetric because they didn't care if A was closer to B than B was to A. They just went, we just care that these things are similar. We don't care if one's more than the other. And the existing work on computational humor, they use these similarity things because it's a good way to incorporate semantics. It's, it's like the smallest amount of semantics that you can put in that it's like, okay, so this part of the beginning is similar to this part at the end, right? Right. And if they're similar enough, then that means that the joke makes sense. And people had stuff like that, but I'm like, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense because if it was too similar, if like, if strong similarity is what right. you wanted, it would be predictable. Yeah, it wouldn't be a joke, yeah. Yeah, so I was thinking about like, well, that doesn't make, you know, and then I got very lucky. My, my, uh, my thesis advisor, the, the, the good one, <laughs> <laughs> the good one, she had worked on, uh, she had done a paper on a data set called the uh, Univers University of Florida Free Association uh, norms. Right. And what that is, is you get a bunch of people and you say uh, grass and they'll say uh, green, lawn, plant, like stuff like that. And what's interesting about that is that you can say, well, if 20% if of people, when, when they hear grass say green, then that must be a, a, a similarity, putting many quotes around the word similarity yeah. of 20% or a score of like 0.2 or whatever. But what's interesting is now you can say green and see how many people say grass. Yes. And it's not going to be the same number. Right. It's right. Smaller, right? Yeah. And uh, my, my, my advisor, she'd worked on uh, a way to extend that network to incorporate more stuff. And I just thought that was really interesting. And I thought it applied really well to how I was thinking about jokes where they had to be hard to predict. Right. But easy to understand. And, you know, I did some stuff doing, uh, I, I don't, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into, but I did some, some graph theory. Right. Well, no, no, did, it's good. It, it's good. We're talking about this because I've, I, one of my favorite comedy books of all time, comedy books of all time, isn't even really a comedy book. It's actually a science book called the humor code. And in it, it talks about how jokes actually don't make sense at all. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a twist involved, a certain asymmetry, as you say. So really, if you, if you really think, boil it down to its essence, comedy is also very scientific, right? Is that something that you've learned doing this? I, it, it definitely can be. Um, 
I find that if you try to boil a, if you try to boil a joke down to a formula, it ends up, <laughs> it ends up being formulaic, yeah. you know, in, 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 in all the bad senses of, of the word of the word. Um, there's definitely tricks at play. It's, I think of it as it's kind of like saying, well, you know, um, hockey is physics. Yeah. Okay. It is. It is. But if you go into it thinking I'm going to apply, by the way, how fucking Canadian am I? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wasn't going to call it out, but hey, since you mentioned it. (laughs) It's so one of the things, and, and I'm sure you've noticed this too. If you spend any time outside of the culture you were raised in, you realize the weirdness of certain things. Yes. And it's kind of like for Canadians, it's all about hockey and the way that we pronounce words weird. And that uh, when you buy milk in, um, in, at least in Ontario, where I'm from, it comes in a plastic bag. Right. Not, not like the Singaporean tea in a bag with a, uh, uh, that you hold on a string, yeah. but it comes in a sealed plastic bag. Right. And that's one of those things I never thought was weird until people pointed it out to me. <laughs> You were at, you were at the supermarket in Hong Kong looking for bags of milk. <laughs> not, not quite. It's just kind of like when people are like, "You guys have that," and that's weird. I'm like, "Oh yeah, it kind of is." So but yeah, the the, the the point. Getting back, you know. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Trying to take a scientific approach to 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 a joke is kind of like trying to take a scientific approach to a sport. Right. Yeah. There's things you can learn. There's strategies you can employ. But if you try to get it down to an equation, I don't think it's going to work out all that well for anyone. Yeah, yeah. So let's flip it and say, do you take, do you bring your comedy side? I suppose you do, but do you bring your comedy side into this world? Because you're studying computational humor now, right? So I guess you kind of do. Well, I mean, definitely. I I feel like really only a comic would have thought about the whole, well, it needs to be hard to predict, but easy to understand. Right. Like, I don't think the, the way that people were trying to model that previously, either by being like, we want to have a strong relation. Like they would do things like they'd compare every pair of words and they want one pair that's really strong and one pair that's really weak. And it's like, that's not how that works. So like, I kind of brought in a little bit of like, well, jokes tend to be structured, set up punchline. So we want direction from the punchline to the setup and the setup to the punchline, the punchlines typically at the end, the setups typically at the beginning. And again, talking about like um, talking about the understandable versus the predictable. I'm not saying a non-comic couldn't have thought of those things, but it definitely helps that when I'm trying to think of those things for the jokes that I'm writing for stage, thinking about how to write a joke involves thinking about how people understand jokes. Cause you yeah. want to say your jokes and you want the audience to process it in a certain way. And you want them to have a certain reaction and you need right. to know how they're interpreting your jokes. So that type of thinking definitely helps when you're trying to figure out how can I get a computer to interpret jokes like that. Oh, you see, okay, this, all this is very interesting to me because I have always feared 
uh, the machine apocalypse, you know. So whenever I see I, a rogue, I can, I can put <laughs> your mind see, at ease in that. Yeah. Whenever I see a, a Boston Dynamics video or a robot doing a backflip, I was like, they're here, y'all. They're here. <laughs> you know, so so to me, all this talk is just very reassuring. Yeah, I guess. The, the Boston Dynamics videos are are so creepy, and it's it's not it's not because of the things that they programmed it to do, like that that one um, that was supposed to carry heavy stuff for the right. army. Like it walks around in this really stilted way, but there's this video where it's walking on ice, and these guys are just kicking the yeah. shit out. <laughs> And it slips on the ice and its legs flail out and it looks so much like a deer. Like that's what deer look like. And that's what really freaked me out. Cause like when it's walking, it looks weird and robotic, but when it was balancing itself, it's like, Oh, that is, that is almost, that is so close to being real. (laughs) I, I don't think you really need to worry too much about the robot apocalypse. I might be, I might be less pessimistic about this. Well, I am either less pessimistic or more pessimistic about it, depending on your point of view. Right. I'm less pessimistic in that I don't think the apocalypse is going to happen. But right. the reason I don't think it's going to happen is because I don't think we're as advanced in AI as we would need to be for it to happen. Right. Right. Because, I mean, machines can't tell jokes yet, you know. So <laughs> if that happens, it may be, right? Well, so what we have right now is... Uh, we have artificial intelligence, so we don't have general intelligence, right? Like you can't, you can make an AI that can recognize faces in a photograph. You can make an AI that understands a joke. You can make an AI that can find cancer in a, in a MRI result, but you can't make one AI that does all three. Ah, Okay. Whereas humans, we can. So yeah. most of the most of the AIs that are employed today are specific to the task that they're doing. Right. So the I, you know, obviously, if you make an AI that its job is to find threats, and then you give it the ability to launch a preemptive strike, right. it might then decide humans are a threat and launch a preemptive strike. For for obvious reasons, uh, no one's stupid enough to do that <laughs> at least i hope no one's stupid enough to yeah. do that but the idea that like alexa is going to become self-aware right. and, and enslave us all right. it's not designed to do that it does not have the capacities to do that we would need to advance it so far for that right. to happen yeah alexa can only ask your kid to stick a fork in the outlet that's about as dangerous as <laughs> alexa so, that's actually that's i this is this is a good topic actually yeah um do you know why why uh, that happened i i do not i i read the article that the kid asked for a dare right it asked for a challenge it's like oh put a penny in between uh which by the way if you're in a country with british outlets wouldn't have worked it would have been fine (laughs) because because they've got that they've got the plastic before that but in in the u.s and canada i don't think i've got a plug in front of me we we have the metal all the way to where you stick your hand yeah um so you can press it anyways (laughs) so what happened was when the kid asked alexa for challenges alexa searched the web okay and when it searched the web, it found a web page that a human wrote. Ah. That a human said to do this. And Alexa repeated it unquestioningly. 
Uh, it's the same thing. If you remember a couple years back, Microsoft had a chat bot on Twitter called Tay. Right. And in like two days, it became a neo-Nazi. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And what happened there was it would learn from what people said to it. And sometimes it would repeat things that, that were that was said to it so people started saying horrible stuff to it and she started learning the horrible stuff and responding with the horrible stuff so that's actually what the real ai apocalypse right. that's that's the real danger right. of ai right is that our ais currently learn from human data and if you learn from human data you will learn human biases, right? Right, it, like, right. They, they made AIs to look at who should be paroled, right? Right. Give them all the information. Are they at risk to reoffend? Right. But the way it knew that they were going to reoffend was based on judges' decisions. Judges saying this person's likely to reoffend, this person's not likely to reoffend. And when you do that, even if only one of those judges is kind of racist, you learn right. correlations like you can, the system might not know that someone's black, but they might right. know their zip code. Right. And if you know their zip code, certain neighborhoods have more minorities yeah. than other neighborhoods and you can learn biases that way. And that's actually a real big problem in AI. Right. Um, especially like in NLP, we had uh, some of those uh, similarity things I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Uh, one of them works on analogy. So you would have uh, ki king minus man plus woman equals queen, queen, which is like the relationship between king and man is the yeah. same as a relationship between queen and woman. Right. But if you took like computer scientist minus man plus woman, it would give homemaker. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Because it learned from human data. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's an active area of, of research on, on how to combat yeah. this. I would like to say that it's solved. It's not, <laughs> it's not, but the first step in fixing a problem is acknowledging that there's a problem. Yeah. I mean, to, to say that it's solved would be that humanity is like better now, right? <laughs> Which it isn't. I mean, just the previous year is already proof of that. So, you know, it's well, yeah, not but there's, there's processes you can put in place to make it, to make oh, yeah. it less yeah. less of an issue, right? Yeah. Like if if you know that people tend to be a little bit racist or whatever, you can withhold certain information. If you know that people tend to be biased towards something, you can skew the data another way or present it in right. a different way to do with that to do that. Right. Uh, and we're learning how to do that with computers. We're coming up with strategies on how right. to do that with computers right now. Right. Right. So. By and by, I guess what I really want to ask, and this is going to be my last question for you here, is how does all of this help like humanity in, in general? What, what, what's the end goal of, of your work here? So it's, it's like anything. It, it's a tool with applications. Um, if we want humans... Well, sorry. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, man. I had it backwards, sorry. If you want a computer, like if you want people to interact with computers more naturally, if you want, a, if you want to be able to just talk to a computer naturally and have it know what you want it to say, like if you want to have that Star Trek future where you just talk to the computer and it figures it out, it needs to be able to understand human thought processes. And 
there's a lot of thought processes that go into understanding a joke that go into telling a joke, you know, understanding the real world relationships, inferences, uh, metaphors, things like that. There's all this like really complex human phenomenon um, that I don't, it like, I don't know if it's, if it's a chicken or an egg thing, they'd be very useful for understanding jokes. And I think jokes would be a good way to explore those processes. Ah, perfect. Perfectly said. Uh, I guess that's it, man. I think, I don't think I can ask you anything else because you covered a lot. We covered a lot in this real quick conversation, man. I mean, we talked about things I didn't even expect to talk about, but thank you so much for taking time out of your day. No uh, problem, man. To, to, to chat with me. Do you want to tell people where they can find you uh, on social media? Or? Yeah, sure. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Andrew C. Grant. On uh, Instagram, I'm at Grant C. Andrew. I couldn't get the same for both. <laughs> <laughs> well, it happens, you know. I, I'm, I'm Andrew Grant. On, I'm thinking, I, I think I'm andrew.grant.comedy on Facebook, but it's a, it's a private profile because I yeah. didn't want employers to find me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Andrew Grant, thank you, man. Yeah, no problem. does it for this week's episode of the class clown podcast i'd like to thank my guest mr andrew grant for filling us in on all things linguistics and the ai and calming our nerves for the impending robot apocalypse um so apparently it's not uh close to happening but i feel Like, if the robots were smart enough, they would have taken over by now and solved all our problems. You know, no more worries about racism, no more anti-vaxxers, no more political differences. Just all robots, all the time. I mean, look at the Matrix, right? They're all in pods, but I bet all those humans are vaccinated and nobody is fucking posting on social media about how the candidate is better. Uh, before we go, I'd like to give you guys a few housekeeping reminders here on the Class Clown Podcast. First and foremost, thank you to everybody who greeted me on my birthday. I know all y'all listen to me. Um, if you haven't greeted me on my birthday, it's fine. You can you have until next year. It's always the same time uh, next year. Also, thank you to everybody who subscribed to my YouTube channel. I have since recently started a YouTube channel where I put up all my old stand-up videos as well as the video versions of this very podcast as well as other content I am scheming about in the future. So a lot of things in store for that YouTube page. Please go follow it while you can. You can find the link on my link tr subscribe like share all that good stuff link tr.ee slash chino supersized the link is available in the description of this podcast or all my social media at chino supersized until next time where we talk to more people about more of the things that make their world special only here on the Fast Found Podcast. My name is Chino Liao. This has been a Podcast Network Asia production. 
powered, of course, by Podmetrics. Goodbye. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.